This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. This is Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And this is Tara Tibbetts from Fort Worth, Texas. And you are listening to the monthly fox hunting episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for July 15th, episode 2725. Good morning, Horse World. We are brought to you now by the Masters of Foxhounds Association. This is our special monthly fox hunting episode. We chat the third Thursday of every month about all things fox hunting. Try to make it seasonal. Keep it interesting. So mark your calendars and check back and come see us the third Thursday of every month. Welcome back, Tara. Yay! What has Tara... I say this every month. If you're not a regular listener, you won't have... You'll want to hear this. If you are a a regular listener, um, go fix yourself a cup of tea quick while I do this part. Fox hunters have the second most interesting adventure stories next to endurance riders because fox hunters frequently do a a lot of traveling and they go to a lot of different places unfamiliar versus disciplines of others. You you go to the same horse show venue over and over and over again, right? Right. You you might go to one or two new ones a year, but fox hunters and endurance riders are constantly going to new places. So what have your adventures been, despite the fact that it's kind of the off-season in the fox hunting universe, what have your adventures been since last we spoke? So in the summertime, what my fox hunting friends and I spend the majority of our time doing really is lots of trail riding. And so we just this past weekend took our trying to think if anyone one person had a new horse who hasn't hunted yet, but will be hunting its first season. And I had my hunt horse. And then most everyone had a hunt horse. I think there's only one there that was maybe not a hunt horse, but we'll see. Anyways, we were at the LBJ Grasslands, which is in kind of north central Texas, and we went trail riding and we have while and don't anyone like stop throwing tomatoes at the radio or the whatever you're listening to don't get mad texas has had a remarkably cool summer like, <laughs> like montana and north dakota are freaking cooking like my mom's in north dakota i'm from eastern montana and it's like in the hundreds there consistently and they're dry as a bone there's been scary fires and we're down here at one I came home from work today. It was 77 degrees. That is unheard of. So trail riding this weekend was absolutely amazing. And the grasslands, um, there, it's an interesting place in Texas and I can't remember how many acres, but it's a few thousand acres. And I know there have been a couple of that have hunted out there, but because it's, I want to say it's a state park, not a national park. And so you can, you can take dogs in there and do hunting with dog stuff. But the last time I recall hunting there with Brazos Valley, it's been a few years, probably four or five, maybe six years ago. Um, somebody had a hunter had gone out and put leg traps. And so oh, those are, yeah, those that's are really not dangerous. Cool. 
no, not cool at all. But it's, and which is a bummer because every time we go back and trail ride, we rode two trails this weekend and they were both about 10 miles. And there's another trail that's 15 miles and another trail that's 26 miles. And they oh, do a ton of endurance rides. Can I come too? Well, especially now with it's being so nice out. Yeah. Dang. But the other interesting thing was, did I talk last fall about when I got Simon a new saddle? I believe, did we talk about that? I believe you did bring up the new saddle. So fast forward to now, I still love my new saddle. It's a Loxley. It's made in England. It's wolf locked, yada, yada, yada. But he's got some white spots on, on his withers. And I've been having um, a, a body worker, or a massage person for horses working on him. And he's got these really sore spots on his back. Uh-oh. And he also has these really, and nobody could answer or had any good ideas. He has white hair from rubs under where his girth goes, like between his two front legs under his, under that part of his body. And you know, some people are like, Oh, you know, you use that kind of girth. It's terrible. And I'm like, I don't really think that's it. Well, I had an independent fitter come out last week. She doesn't rep any brand. She's, we had long conversations about foam versus wool. She doesn't prefer one or the other. She doesn't, you know, think one or the other's trash, which I thought was lovely. It was a fascinating conversation and she had no problems with my saddle, but she did say, you know, there's, there's a couple of things she needed fixing. And when we were about done with Simon, I told her, I said, you know, he's got these, these white marks under his belly. What do you think that's from? And she did this wonderful explanation of how, because the, there wasn't quite enough flocking in the front of my saddle and there was too much in the back of it. So it's kind of like pushing down and then I'm kind of leaning back. And she said the way the saddle was, it was twisting on his body. So she thinks that the girth was twisting under his sternum there. And that's what caused the rubs. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? That's interesting. So does he just have white hairs or the were the white hairs um, after you saw actual rub marks? Was there actual hair rubbing off and then replaced by white stuff or did it just turn white? I never noticed rubs down there, hmm. but I really didn't notice that white hair until I body clipped him. Ah. Cause it's, I mean, it was under where you like, I mean, yeah. I, maybe I'm a bad horse person, but I don't look under there frequently. It's, and an, it's, easy, not it's a an easy place of, to miss. Yeah. And it's not a ton of white hair and he's dark brown. So if you're looking, you can see it, but it's not enough that it was like, cause the, the white spots on his withers were the one on the right went away. The left one is still fairly like it's still there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he's, he's such a fantastic minded horse. He's never said no. He's never acted like he was in pain. He just keeps it to himself. He's, yeah. Yes. Yes. Hmm. Interesting. Well, it will be interesting as the, season gets into gear if you notice a difference in his performance or the how you how your saddle feels on his back now that it's been yes. adjusted a little bit that'll be very interesting yeah yes i just saddle fitting fascinates me regard like i don't care what what kind of saddle you have i think it's so interesting now and just out of curiosity i'm not no no judging what kind of girth do you use so I school him at home in a, I've got a couple of different like synthetic fleece girths, mm-hmm. but I fox hunt him in a professional's choice. Um, it's, it's a neoprene girth because it, it prevents 
rubbing or not rubbing. It prevents the saddle moving around too much. Yeah, yeah, when you're going, yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's a little grippy and, you know, breastplate, the grippy girth, um, all that fun stuff. And so I, a couple of people, I'd posted the question on Facebook a few weeks ago and, you know, people are like, oh, those girths are awful. They give my horse rubs. They're awful. And I'm like, I mean, he's, like I said, I've never noticed rubs Mm -hmm. before, so, and I don't like to use the fleece girth when hunting because some places where I've gone have like cockleburs and stuff. And, and then they get stuck fleece, inside there. Yes. That's bad news. Yeah. Yes. So I, d- I don't want to go to something that's going to collect crap yeah. and hurt him. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I can see that. And I can see if a horse, have, having a horse that is sensitive to neoprene, if I put neoprene on Nigel's body directly, he will tend to lose some hair or get some irritation. And I think Um, that there's a lot of horses in the world. A lot of horses in the universe do that. So he wears girth covers on all of his girths, but I can see how that could happen on the very bottom of their tummy. And you wouldn't even notice it because it's all it is, is the hair starts to grow a different color. Right. You know, unless you turn your head upside down, you wouldn't see that. So, just just because I'm curious and I love to quiz you, what are your reasons for choosing synthetic girths over leather ones? You know, I own both, Jen. Yeah. I have a lot of both. And I think the main reason I usually use the synthetic girths that I have is because I'm doing a mental inventory. I like the girths that have elastic on both sides and none of my leather girths do. Oh, interesting. Interesting. And kind of on that same vein, and I don't remember if I talked, I don't think I talked about this last time. When I got back from Montana, I I had a trailer full of tack from my mom. Western and English. Bridles, saddles. That's why you got the bigger horse trailer. You wanted to bring all the tack home. Ironically, the storage on the old trailer was more generous (laughs) than the storage in this trailer. (laughs) But I was tacking Simon up. And put, I was, went to go put his fleecy girth on and it, I think I'd washed it or something. It wasn't in there. And so I grabbed one of the leather girths I'd gotten from my mom and this, the, the end of the story, I don't think it has anything to do with the leather girth. I think it's just because the girth was tight. So it had, you know, it only had elastic on one end and it's, it was the same size as I usually ride him in, which is a 50 or a 52. However, I don't think mom had used it very much. So the elastic wasn't stretched out at all. And it took some tugging to get that girth on. Right. Really? Wow. So tug, 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 get it on the first hole. I go into the tack room and I come out and my horse is fainting. (gasps) Oh, poor guy. He had, Jamie has talked about this. He had a vasovagal nerve response. Like, Oh, you don't do it that way. Mama. Right. (laughs) And, and I'm, all, I've always been this way to where I start it pretty loose and I kind of do stuff and then I put it up a hole and then I kind of do stuff and put it up. But I had it pretty dang tight because the girth was kind of short and <laughs> scared oh the daylights gosh. out of me. <laughs> Poor Simon. <laughs> well, that is very interesting stuff. I end up with synthetic just because, you know, Ocala, synthetic tack because everything molds. But have you ever used the old fashioned, I'm going to date myself, Threefold girth? No, I've. Have no, you ever seen ever someone seen use one. a threefold girth? <laughs> I don't think I have. I'm sure somebody I know has, but it, it. You know, when I 
moved to Texas and started hunting was 2010. So I think they were pretty obsolete by then. I don't think I I don't think I've seen a threefold girth in the wild for probably 10 years. And you just you really don't see leather girths hardly at all. Well, I yeah, I think you're right. The the fleece synthetic fleece girth is sort of the standard in the show Hunter Ring, and I think that has and even in you even see them in the eventing, but that I think it it's blended over from the show Hunters into the hunt field. Yeah, because uh, and they are super easy to keep clean. You, you just toss them in the washing machine versus scrubbing or rinse the it off grime yep. and the slime off of the leather one. Yeah, but and now that I know that the rubbing thing, not that you know we know for sure, but I, I'm kind of in an experimenting mode, and so I have other longer leather girths than the one that I used. And so I kind of want to try leather girths on Simon and just see if those are more comfortable. So I'm not opposed to them. And I have a bunch. I have a really beautiful Hermes one. (laughs) How many girths do you have, uh, Tara? I think I have girths like some people have saddle pads. I at least 15. What? Yeah. I want you, I want you to take a picture of them all lined up (laughs) and you need to put that over on the auditor's Facebook page. Yeah. Yeah, I'm biased, but I think I have the world's prettiest tech room. Well, I want pictures, okay? Because I, mean, I have I have the world's um, plainest tech room. It's a stall. It's not even a tech room. It's a stall with oh, some nails on the wall. Very nice. Well, <laughs> kind of going back to, because I know you used a lot of synthetic tech because of the humidity. Well, I made my husband build a room for my tech, and it's heated and air-conditioned. Oh, can I can I live at your house? Sure, come on over. <laughs> a lot of dogs. We were. I was out hacking with a friend the other day, and we were talking about. She was talking about, um, uh, pimping out her tack room. They're going to put an air conditioner in and do some other things. And uh, I thought, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have a proper tack room with air conditioning, so that it was temperature controlled, so that my tack would not get disgusting and slimy. Not that I, I'm not a fanatic about my tack room being clean. I'm just, I really hate moldy tack. And uh, yeah, that was, that's high on my list is a place I can put my tack where it has squirrels don't chew on it and it doesn't mold. And there are no bird's nest inside my helmet. That would be nice. Well, and, and that last fall I ordered a Bennett's hunter bridle, hunt bridle, flat bridle. It's the most expensive bridle I've ever owned in my entire life. And I just, you know, I, I like to have nice tack and I want to have it for a really, really long time. And so I appreciate the ability to store it in a very safe. I do have cats that live in my tack room, but they don't bother my tack, thankfully. <laughs> Be careful what you say. <laughs> I know, right? They're, I mean, I got them as kittens, so they're cats now, so they should be pretty. Yeah. I don't trust them in the tack room. Find them sleeping on the seat of my saddle. That does happen. Sometimes. That does happen. Well, right about this time of the to, of the show, we do what uh, Tara calls the term of the month because there's all sorts of words and phrases involved with the sport that just make you scratch your head. And what yes. is the head scratcher this time around? So it's it's kind of a twofer because once you know the term the name of one, you, the other one's kind of obvious. But the term of the month is unentered hound. And you, this is a term you might hear 
when you're going out autumn hunting in the fall, which is that's for some hunts is coming pretty soon in the next couple of months if you're in the northern month in the, the northern part of the United States. And an unentered hound is just it's a hound that has not entered, meaning it has not entered the hunt field. So it hasn't hunted is is the layman's term of it. It's a maiden. Yep. A maiden. maiden. Exactly. <laughs> to use a racing term. So and in the ahead. in the late summer when a lot of hunts do hound exercise for a hound to be entered that means it has to go out with the pack when proper hunting is started and they're out searching for a scent correct yes okay so this time of year your huntsmen will be they'll be you know walking out hounds horseback and on foot and they'll bring the puppies or the unentered hounds you know getting it, learning the horn calls and learning the commands that different various huntsmen use and whatnot, getting familiar with all those things. And then that's really the purpose of autumn hunting is they'll do mixed packs of the unentered hounds with some of the tried and true know what they're doing hounds so that the young hounds can learn from the good seasoned hounds. So by the time regular hunt season starts, the unentered hounds have got a little more experience under their belts because the, the autumn hunting is depending again on where you are in the United States. If it's hot, they might go out, you know, go out at seven o'clock in the morning or, you know, they have a nicer day. So they'll go out at nine or 10 o'clock in the morning. So the variability of the schedule tends to make it so that there's fewer people in the field, which is better for the unentered hounds because the huntsman and the staff can focus more on, the young hounds and giving them a good experience and teaching them things and getting them accustomed to their being horses around them. Um, so by the time, you know, cause the opening hunt for most hunts is huge, which you probably don't have. A it, bunch it's of craziness. Hounds. Yes. 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 It's yes. Craziness. So when you have big fields, you, you don't want, you know, that might scare the unentered. So yeah, they'll be intimidated. Yeah. Yeah. And then at the hound shows, which, Last month, uh, Central States had a puppy show, which is an unentered hound show. So it's just, it's a show for the hounds that haven't entered. And if you go to like the Virginia hound show and all those different ones, they separate the groups into unentered, which is essentially puppies and entered hounds, which I always love. Cause you go to an AKC dog show and they're all perfectly quaffed and they have great <laughs> haircuts and all these things. And you go to a foxhound show and you know, They've got some. They've got some body marks that show that they have a real job. Yes, where 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 Flash crashed through that thorn bush last year. He's got yep. scrapes all over. Him. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yes, it is a very different look. And what I'm always impressed with every time I watch video, I get to watch video of hound shows a lot more than I get to watch actual hound shows. But I'm always amazed at how attentive those hounds are to their handler. Oh, yes. It's just yes. In incredible because I've met some foxhounds and their universe does not revolve around pleasing their human. It's a very, very yes. special relationship they have with that one human. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite videos I've seen on Facebook, and I think it's on a private page. Um, but if, if you check out the Fox Hunters on Facebook page, it might be there. I'm not sure. But Lincoln Sadler at Moore County Hounds posted somebody in his hunt posted a video a few weeks ago. And that it was a I think it was an afternoon or an evening that they were going to walk out hounds. 
and they're all there's probably 20 people just kind of standing around the kennels and a few couple people on horseback. Lincoln is standing at, you know, in front of the kennels and he the kennel door is open. And the hounds are just standing there staring at him, just watching him and he's and he's doing what he's doing on purpose, but he's chatting with people and walking around and a couple people look like they have like a soda in their hand or something like that. And that goes on for a good four minutes. And then he looks at them and gives them the command. Then they come out of the kennel and gather around and they go for a walk. It is breathtakingly beautiful. See, there you go. So even if you're not someone who wants to follow along with the hounds aboard a horse, if you enjoy dogs working hard and yes. enjoying their life it's a good reason to get involved with the sport because it is fascinating stuff now i have one more question when it comes to our term of the month unentered hound yes. um may seem obvious but i'm curious when a hunt gets a new hound in from another hunt they have a name for that what is it draft they draft in a new hound is that new hound that comes into the new hunt unentered until he joins that particular pack or is he an entered hound because he's hunted elsewhere well if he has hunted he's never unentered again okay but uh, oftentimes hunts will draft unentered hound like get the youngsters like i know yeah sandy has sandy at brazos valley has she has drafted in the last few years quite a few of her young unentered hounds to other hunts that that have American hound packs because Brazos Valley is, I think, almost exclusively American. There's, I think, I don't think there's any crossbreds anymore. Um, but it just, it you know, sometimes, like you, you'll read, um, maybe a hunt has more litter, you know, more puppies in the couple of litters that they had in a season than they really need to replace their hunting hounds. So in that situation, they might draft some of those puppies, some of those unentered hounds to other hunts just to cut down on numbers. They also might draft out maybe a different hunt is looking to diversify their bloodline and they like a bloodline from another hunt. So they draft an entered hound and they might not even ever hunt it. They might just immediately put it to breeding or they might hunt it for a couple seasons and then breed it eventually. Ha. Because that is one of the the unique things about the fox hunting world is they don't they don't buy and sell hounds. You're, the, the MFHA very much encourages hounds to draft with no you know no, you don't they buy trade. hounds from another hunt. Yeah, they <laughs> trade exactly. They trade. Yeah, cool. Or and then when they get to be senior hounds, they don't want to hunt anymore. Then they get to be couch potatoes. Hopefully, most of them. Some there's a you know. Every once in a while, there's some hounds that don't, don't acclimate house to house pet. living. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, a lot of times, hunts will just leave those hounds in the kennels and just kind of let them, you know, deal with the innards or whatever and live out their life. But the vast majority anymore <laughs> so do become They get, they get to be hounds. the Walmart greeters of the, of the kennel. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I think we talked about that I had one house hound. His name was Singer. And he was a strike hound for Brazos Valley. So that means he... He was the really one of the first hounds to get on scent, and he was a very aggressive hunter. Like, not an aggressive dog, but he was an aggressive hunter, and he was into his job. He was game, and he, yeah. yeah. He never really took to retirement. Like, he never really quit hunting, per se. He settled into househound life in that he, he only wanted to be outside. He didn't want to be in the house. He was perfectly happy outside, and he didn't run away or anything, except the one time that there was bad thunder because he was terrified of storms. But... 
All the rest of mine are couch potatoes. <laughs> and that is interesting. We had a, a dog once, um, a mutt. She was assorted breeds, but she definitely had hunting dog in her. But she, we, for the first six years we owned her, she would not come in the house. You couldn't put a leash on her and take her in the house. She would stop and slip her collar, not in the house. And we lived in Pennsylvania where it got freaking cold. She had short hair. But there was no getting that dog into the house. She was just, just like, no, I live outdoors. It's what I do. Yep. We had mm-hmm. a couple of dogs like that in, uh, in yeah. Montana. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there we You're go. Right. Well, we've got a couple of really fascinating guests today. Uh, but before we get to our first guest, what have we got going on over at the MFHA? Well, as I mentioned previously, the MFHA has a new um, communication um, liaison, I guess is maybe how you call it, with Ecmedia. And so the today, the same day the podcast comes out, the new MFHA website is being unveiled. Ooh. So if you go to, it's MFHA.com. I clarified that with the folks at Ecmedia, but MFHA.com, go there today. You should be able to see the brand spanking new website. So very exciting. And, and that website is the key to finding a hunt near you, to learning more about fox hunting, to finding events that are happening from hound trials to hound shows to hunt some hunter pace type events. Um, the MFHA website is a fantastic place to find out the goings on of fox hunting in the United States. Well, there we go. Now let's uh, let's get our guest on the on the line here, and welcome to the show, Cameron Sadler. MFH of Moore County Hounds. Kind of the theme of our July episode is we're talking about different things hunts do during the summer months to keep their membership engaged. And Cameron, you are going a mile a minute with a million different things. Tell us. Yes. Tell us all about it. So uh, every summer we have lots of things going on. Uh, And it seems this year it's actually almost as busy as hunt season. Um, so firstly, we have a hunt camp that we do jointly with the Sand Hills Pony Club, and that runs for a whole week. That happened in June. We had uh, 15 juniors and five adult Pony Club folks um, signed up. Oh, and cool. So all combine the adults and the kids. Yeah. Uh, adults are allowed to be a member of Pony Club now. That's the new thing, I guess, for a couple of years. So, uh, and I'm a member myself and very involved in the pony club here. And what we do is we set up a week to to really help uh, anyone, juniors and adults, uh, get better at riding, get better at riding in groups, do some new things with their horse, uh, and just try some some new things. So we do, uh, most days we have had two lessons running a day, meaning um, two instructors, locally doing lessons in cross country, dressage and um, stadium and or grid work. And then we also do things uh, when we're not in lessons, like take the horses swimming, go on trail rides. We did an overnight this year to one of our uh, best fixtures and they have uh, two lovely farmhouses there. So we overnighted, had a big cookout. And then the next day we sorted cattle and most oh, people cool. had not done that. So it was, it was really a fun um, outing. And then we had a big trail ride after the cattle sorting that sort of was like a mock hunt for people who have not ridden in groups much. 
That was a great chance oh. to just see how it would go. And so that With was no a huge success. Then. No hounds, uh, just riding in groups and jumping and getting better with your flat work and, and, you know, getting confidence with your horse. So that, that happened and it was great. Everybody had a good time. I'm sure we're going to do it again next year. This is third year for Pony Club Hunt Camp is what we call it. And that's pretty all consuming in June in terms of preparing for it and then running it and then sort of recovering from it. But uh, we well, and, also and do, we didn't say this earlier, but you're in yeah. the um, Southern Pines area of North Carolina. Is that right? Yes. Southern Pines. So it's warm in June, but it's not unbearable. That's right. And we got blessed with a particularly good week of not as hot weather this time. Hot enough to want to swim the horses, but not hot enough to not feel like riding. And, right, um, right. That's fact. Yeah, so it was great. And then um, all during the summer, we do hound walking. So hounds go out and um, members and, and pony club and everybody is invited to come out on foot and, and three days of the week, Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday. And then the, okay, you're pretty the active. Thing, and, and- to plug mm-hmm. to your your husband Lincoln is the huntsman for Moore County, so he is. So that works he out sure perfectly. Yeah, and um, and then I'd say the other biggest thing that we're doing, and it's just kind of cranking up now, is uh, starting to have our volunteer meetings. We'll do that once a month, and basically have everybody together and start planning our fundraising events, setting dates, uh, planning trips that we might make for joint meets and things like that. And that's actually happening so, tonight. So, oh, very <laughs> we don't have all the so with your, stuff set now. With Moore County, um, do you have a pretty significant number of non-riding members, or are most of the volunteers that you're meeting with riding members, or is it kind of a mix of both? It's a mix, for sure. Uh, we have people, for example, that come to hound walking religiously, but never ride. Um, you know, so they, they would walk all summer on foot with the hounds, but they might never go out on an actual hunt. Do they car follow or just kind of go to the social events you have during hunt season? They would go to social events. We don't really have a lot of car following because we don't have that many roads. And um, most of the places that that we hunt um, don't have vehicle access so much. Okay. So I think that's one thing that, that... people maybe take for granted is that there is a pretty significant role for non-riders to participate with fox hunting, both in walking out hounds and oh, just sure. attending the social event, especially in the summer. Absolutely. And definitely also some people just love to volunteer and run an event or, um, you know, help with miscellaneous different things that need to be done. So, you know, there's always trail clearing, there's um, projects going on at the kennels and things like that too that happen during the summer. And how old is Moore County? Is it one of the more established older hunts, or is it a fairly new one? I think we are 105 or 107. I'll have to look. Just a couple years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're, we're up there, definitely. Uh, we were established so the, in 1914. Oh, that's so cool. Is the role that you have, um, is it something that is a master's role, or is this just something you've kind of taken on or uh, an established position within Moore County? So uh, Moore County is a a little bit unique because it is, it's a private pack. So we don't have a huge committee uh, running things. We do have four masters and everybody does um, wear all different hats 
but definitely um, involvement with the Pony Club and involvement with the MFHA mostly fall into my hat. And especially now that I've just become the district rep for the Carolinas. Oh, very exciting. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. And normally in the the off hunting season, we would be also doing the Carolina Town Show, uh, which I run that as well with another lady named Laura Lindemood, but we did not do any hound shows this year because of, you know, nice. being careful about COVID. Right, right. So, so many we'll just be starting things. to organize for next year's hound shows now, probably within the next yeah. two months. So then I know um, Cameron knows this, that I'm, I'm very upset. You have an RRP thoroughbred that you're bringing along that is by the same that my hunt horses buy and I, you yes. know, I follow you on Facebook and see all your pictures and stuff. Do you have a couple folks at your hunt that are participating in RRP or is that just something that you're doing on your own? We do. We have a great group going from here. Uh, we call ourselves thoroughly so pines and, um, oh, cool. yeah, there's myself and then another young lady that works here at the farm, Ashley Taylor. She's going to ride my other RRP eligible 2020 horse. Uh, his name's JC Cleave and mine is JC Jap- uh, Zapper. And that's the one you're following. I'm pretty sure. Um, yes. And then we also have Lyle McMurdy, who's going to be bringing one of her horses to RRP and she hunts with us regularly too. I'm trying to think who else there's two or three other people from Southern Pines. Oh, and Amara Baker, one of our junior riders is going yes. to be, uh, bringing her horse, and his name is Zeppelin Ride. So fun. And that's, are all of you participating in the hunt um, competition at RRP, or are you doing various events with your horses? So I think that there will be various events, but you get to choose two. So um, probably most of us will be going in fox hunters for one of the two, and then um, I'm pretty sure Amara and um, Lyle will do the eventing. I'm undecided between eventing or stadium jumping and Ashley is considering cow sorting or eventing or stadium. So we don't have to decide for about another month. I think I've got to look on the website and see. Yeah. But I feel like it's like a month, a month to, and a half out. Yeah. Yeah. They'll, they'll ask us to pick, pick a discipline, but I'm pretty sure all of us will be picking fox hunting. Yes. Spectacular. Well, like I said, it's... it's oh, um, I forgot. Laura Sloan is the other one who's going with us. Oh, perfect. And she has a beautiful uh, gray horse. And his, he goes and, by Dominic, but I'm not sure what his real name is, his jockey club and, name. And it sounds like it's a mix of 20 horses and 2021 horses. It is. It's going to be... Uh, they're calling it Mega Makeover this year. And right, I think there's right. something like 600 for each year, so it's going to be a huge time out in Lexington in October. So exciting. So if someone's yeah. listening to us chatting today and they want to get involved in all the fun you're having in Southern Pines, how do they find more County Hounds? So we do have a website, but the easiest way is probably to reach me through Facebook Messenger, honestly. Perfect. Um, email is not the best because I'm retired, so I'm not sitting at the computer as much. <laughs> You say you're retired. You're like I said before we started the recording. I think you're the busiest retired person I've ever met in my life. I'm just having a great time doing everything. That's for sure. 
Wonderful. And I can't encourage anyone enough. If you are listening and you're close to Southern Pines, I met the folks at, from Moore County at a joint meet with Bellmead this, I guess it was this spring, not this winter. Yeah. And just had a wonderful time getting to know y'all and are hoping that we get to be back um, and see y'all again so this season. Perfect. Definitely. We'll look forward to that. Well, the other thing I want to mention is a great time to plan our trip. So we are planning a trip north so that we can uh, hunt with some other hunts that we don't get to hunt with regularly and also participate in the performance trial that's going to be happening up at Millbrook, New York. Oh, very nice. We'll be doing that in September. So we're in the process of planning that now, too. That's probably the only other thing I forgot to mention earlier. And the hound trials are wonderful. It's always a great time, too. I've talked about them on a couple of other um, I've done the hound trials at Burwell. I think that's the mm-hmm. only one I've been to. But it's a great opportunity to meet different people from different hunts and um, really do some sure. connecting. And that's so many of our listeners are interested in fox hunting, have never fox hunted. And those are great things to either, you know, go and car follow or ride in, ride in a hilltopper flight or something like that and really get to know exactly. fox hunting yeah. fox hunters. So yeah. awesome. Well, Cameron, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Circuit. It was wonderful. Thank you. To finally get you on. I'm sure we'll have you on again soon because there's, again, because there's always so much happening with Moore County. And because I love quizzing Tara, I'm surprised you'd like to do this show with me, Tara, because I keep quizzing you. (laughs) I've noticed a trend. A lot of masters of foxhounds are women. Yes. Why? I find that fascinating because I don't remember that being the case 30 years ago. Is that something that you find or is it just luck of the draw? I think that as with everything in the world, fox hunting is changing with the, you know, the population of people who are riding and you hear a lot of conversation in, in the fox hunting world of, do you ride to hunt or do you hunt to ride? And I think 30 years ago, you know, more of the, the men were involved and they, I can't remember which one goes with it. Because, and they, they rode, they rode to, rode hunt. to hunt because they enjoyed the sport and yes. the horse happened to be the vehicle. Yes. Yes. Okay. And, and that, you know, when they had big wide open spaces, I, it was, it was very much, and for a long time, fox hunting was a men's sport. Like, yes, that's true. You know, very, and, and I don't, I don't know the nuances of the rules. Cause I know that pretty far back, you would see women MFHs, especially you see kind of that turning point, I think during world war two, when a lot of men left or were preoccupied with other things. And so women stepped up. And we're taking more of those MFH roles. But I think that's a big part of it now. And you think about what goes into being the master of a fox hunt. A huge aspect of it is social. And not a lot of hunts in the United States, especially anymore, you know, hunts are changing. Territory is getting smaller. Those things are happening. And not a lot of hunts have a property that they hunt on that they own with their own clubhouse to do those things. So you're looking at an organization of people that are social and have events and call me crazy, but women just tend to be more active in planning events and doing social activities and all of those things. And I I don't know the details of the surveys that the, the horse industry does, but I've 
would venture to guess the majority of people riding horses are women. Oh, by far. Far and so, outnumber men, yeah. It, it's it that's what I think. And and it's I feel like I came to fox hunting after a lot of that transition had already happened. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like the, so particularly on the East coast, the women who have taken up the mantle of running these fox hunts, because the master is basically the CEO of a fox hunt. Yes. Are oft times multi-generational. Their parents, their grandparents, their great-great-grandparents were also involved with that same hunt club. But it seems to have fallen on the women of these families to carry the mantle rather than the, the, the men. It may have started out three, four generations ago. It was great-great-grandpa, Tobias, yep. that was master of foxhounds. But at like, and you may be right. It might be you know that the whole World War II thing. Now it's great grandma. Now and it's and now it's grandma, grandma Gertrude or Aunt Bess that is taking that. And I I think it's kind of cool because in so many equestrian disciplines, when you get to the top of the heap, um, you it's still have the majority men. of them are men because the women fall out taking on family obligations most of the time. But in the fox hunting discipline, that is not the case. It, the people at the top who are making the decisions, the CEOs, in so many cases, are women. Well, and a lot of, you know, I think about the different hunts that I've gone out with a few times, and I can think of, a, like off the top of my head, I could name the name of 10 families that the mom, the dad, and the kids are hunting. Oh, neat. And so it is, and like rodeo was kind of this way for me when I was a kid growing up. There was a lot of families who rodeo, whereas you look at eventing and hunter-jumper and dressage, uh, and I don't, I don't really know why it is, but you just don't see families out doing that. It's usually the kids or, you know, women who are older, who, you know, cause they've raised their kids and they're coming back to riding. Whereas fox hunting really is truly family friendly. And I think that not a lot of hunts hunt property. You know, you look at the masters and the hunts back in England where all this basically started. It was a land, you know, a, a man who owned a big, huge estate property that they fox hunted on. So the men were always the masters. Whereas you come over here and I think it kind of started that way. But it's gone away, you know, as people have sold off property and, you know, hunts have gone or land has gone into conservation, it's not so much that way anymore. So the men don't, you know, finger quotes, automatically get those roles. It's going more to the people who will do the work, which is oftentimes the women. Yeah. Well, and the, the at least I, I particularly, I'd say in the past 10 years, the significant shift of the fox hunting community to really take on the subject of land conservation. That is huge in the fox hunting community now. Yes. If you've got, yep. if you've got trails in your neighborhood, there's probably a fox hunter somewhere involved with keeping them there. <laughs> Especially if you're east of the Mississippi, for sure. Yeah. Because, because open space to ride a horse on is becomes more scarce every year. And that, and that's a really big 
topic for the fox hunting community is the struggle to keep the property open because I'm sorry, but you can't go fox hunting on 50 acres. Oh, no. I mean, it's hard to fox hunt on 500 acres. There you go. And it has to be contiguous. It's not a case of, you know, you have to, yeah, it's crazy. And the last few years I hunted when I was in Pennsylvania, that was a, that was a real problem. It it was, it was kind of not fun anymore. (laughs) We used to laugh that you you can't fox on in Pennsylvania unless you cross an interstate. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's, it's true. Yeah. Well, interesting stuff. How, how the different disciplines have slightly different demographics. And I'm rather proud that the fox hunting community has a lot of women at the helm. Kind of cool. I agree. Kind of cool. Absolutely. And that that discussion actually has inspired me to sit back and enjoy a little bit of Templeton Thompson. Uh, Girls and Horses is one of our faves, and we will be right back after that with our next guest. Well, she talks about them, dreams about them. Thinks about him all the time She's got to have him Be lost without him You can see it in her eyes What is it? What is it with girls and horses? She says Now when I was a young girl They were my whole world They were my one safe place Now that I'm older Still lean on their shoulders I still feel like that girl some days What is it? What is it with girls and I 
am delighted to have with us today Ginny Perrin from Deep Run Hunt Club. And Ginny, if you would start by introducing everyone who listens, always likes to hear a little bit of how you got started fox hunting and where you hunt and, and where you're associated. And you are an, an MFH, so a, a little bit of a brief bio about that role. Uh, great. Uh, thank you, Tara. Uh, I started hunting when I was eight years old with the Sedgefield Hunt, which is in Greensboro, North Carolina. And I rode with a wonderful lady named Virginia Wiseman, who used to take uh, two vans full of horses down there, horses and ponies down to the Sedgefield Hunt. And we had a wonderful time. And that would have been, well, I don't, don't really want to tell you, but it was into the 60s, early 70s. Just a and, couple of years ago. Um, just a couple of years ago. Yep. And uh, so did that when I went to college to Duke University. I hunted with the Red Mountain Hounds. And when I, after school, I moved to Richmond, Virginia and became a member of Deep Run and have been hunting with them ever since. Oh, that's delightful. My, well, and my husband, Coleman, was master of Deep Run for 19 years, I think. And then uh, we had one year break, and then I became uh, master. So as he says, I was homeschooled for the <laughs> position. <laughs> did he grow up hunting in Virginia? He did. He did. He's from Richmond and has been a member all of his life of from um, uh, of Deep Run. His, his father was master before Coleman. Oh, lovely. So I sadly have not made a trek to Virginia just yet. And what, what part of Virginia is Deep Run? Well, where's Richmond? We are, Richmond, uh, which is, you know, is our state capital, is two hours south of Washington, D.C., straight down I-95. And we are just west of Richmond and have country uh, all the way up through Fluvanna, almost to Albemarle, which is, you know, near Charlottesville. Oh, lovely. So what is your territory like? We have very wood. We have a little bit of everything, but we are what we call our old country, which is really where I live and where a hunt club is, the, the clubhouse. Uh, we have open fields, you know, little farms, some big farms, cattle farms, not a lot of grain operations here, uh, mainly cattle and horses and uh, from where we live, it's 30 minutes to downtown Richmond, so it is getting developed. And uh, my husband and the board moved the kennels to Cumberland, uh, Virginia, which is south of the James River. It is in Cumberland County, and moved that uh, 18 years ago. And so there, we are adjacent to a 17,000-acre state forest. Oh, wonderful. Most of the country, and it's great. It gives us wonderful, uh, well, it's a lot of coyote hunting down there, but we also have plenty of foxes. But we hunt mainly wooded country as well as some cattle farms, and there are some grain farmers down there, too. It's a very rural area in Cumberland. Oh, that sounds... So we're fortunate to have it. It is 45 minutes from uh, our house, which is pretty much in the center of the old territory that we hunt. And we hunt this old country probably three times a month. Okay, so the that's rest were over in pretty active. So just speaking of activity and hunting, w one thing I get asked constantly by by people who listen to the podcast and who are interested in fox hunting and, and just uh, my background really quickly, I'm in Texas. So fox hunting is still kind of new and foreign here. But people always say, you know, say, what do you do during the summertime? And 
when, you know, we're, we're excited that the MFHA is sponsoring the podcast again. And I was talking to Carrie Worth at Eck Media, who's kind of leading the charge in their communication. And she had mentioned that y'all were doing some summer camps. Exactly. We do an adult summer camp and we do uh, a junior summer camp in addition to the regular camp that the Pony Club has, which is actually going on as we speak. And that that's for a week. So we have three different opportunities. But of course, with the Pony Club, you have to be a member of the Pony Club. Oh, so so do you do is it just like one camp for each group or do you do a couple sessions or tell us a little bit about kind of the format and the time frame? Well, the adult camp started, uh, gosh, probably about 17 years ago, and I actually had a member who's an adult who had two girls who were riding, did the pony club, and she said, you know, the focus is always on the children with these educational opportunities, and she said, I didn't grow up hunting, and I would love to have something that was geared a little more towards adults. So we started talking to different people and found out that, you know, there's no way to simulate and practice hunting, especially if you have a green horse or you are green to hunting other than actually doing it unless you set up something like that. So we, it's over two, the adult camp is over two days and it's out at our kennel in Cumberland and we ride uh, in the morning, Saturday and in the afternoon and have lunch. And at lunch we have different speakers and different topics. And we talk about everything from the history of hunting and hunting etiquette and the difference between a red and a gray fox and coyote habitat to uh, we will talk about um, safety. We talk about conditioning a horse. We talk about attire. We will, if there are issues such as there is a landfill that's proposed in the Cumberland area, uh, we will have a speaker come from the county to talk to us about it and some of the people who are concerned about this land field because we feel it's so important for our members to not only want to ride and to be hunting, but also to understand the community where they are and to feel a part of the community. So we do all sorts of different things. We've had the head of the state forest in Virginia come and speak to us since we hunt on 17,000 acres of theirs. Yes. And uh, we've had uh, talking about uh, what's going on with hunting in England. We have a member who uh, was connected with a lot of the animal rights activity over in England. We had her come and speak. Um, so as I say, every year it's a little bit different, but each year we do do uh, the rules, etiquette, how to relate to uh, an appropriate interaction with landowners, how to get your horse ready for the hunt, uh, what to expect. Those are kind of things we do every year. And we also have the staff speak. We have our huntsman, John, will um, introduce um, the members to the different calls on the horn. Oh, and cool. we talk about uh, hound confirmation. And we have primarily a crossbred pack, but we try to show them the difference between the American, the English, and the crossbred. And uh, we have our whipper in, talk about what she does or he does, depending on who the whipper in is at the time, and their expectations of field and what they want the field to do and what they want that we don't want the field to do. These are all things that we cover uh, every year. And the hounds, we do ride out with hounds. Uh, we don't hunt, but we rode on Sunday, and the horses are introduced to hounds on Saturday afternoon. So we try to pick and choose a lot of different things. I always lead the group 
of the very green horses and green riders on uh, Saturday morning. And uh, Marsh Davis and Polly Vance, my joint masters, deal with people who are a little more accomplished and either have a new horse that they're they're ready to get moving or just ready to kind of get a little refresher. Or uh, we do this in August every year. So it's when people are really starting to gear back into hunting and start thinking about it. So we usually have maybe 35, 40 people. Oh, wonderful. So it sounds uh, like it's geared a little bit towards people who have hunted as well as newcomers. Do you have to be a member to participate? No, you don't. Uh, You have to. uh, Members can bring guests. Plus, we have had uh, new uh, people who are new to hunting. We have to be careful because uh, safety is always an issue. And we need to make sure because you are riding out with other horses. And so we, we, if someone just called cold, we could not do it unless they could give us, you know, unless they had connection with a trainer or somebody. Who References, say, yes. Yes, yes. Right, exactly. This person has an appropriate horse and this person does have the right mindset to do this because we don't want to endanger the person or anybody else by getting someone who's really just not prepared for it at all. But, we, you know, level of riding, I have in my green group people who really do not aspire to go any faster than the hilltopping group. But in our hilltopping group, you do walk, trot, and may maybe occasionally canter. You also have to be able to cross a creek. We also have reverse fields, and so we do all of that. And we gear the pace to the group. And so sometimes, some years we get a lot more accomplished than others, just depending on who's in the group, who makes up the group. That's so fun. So I guess I, I thought it had already happened. So if anybody's listening and they really were interested, they potentially could get in touch with, and we'll, we'll put contact information at the end, but I think that's delightful that it's coming up. And, and I think the timing where you have it for the adults, especially kind of leading up to when people are starting to think about, I might try fox hunting this year because when do y'all start cubbing, autumn hunting? We we start autumn hunting usually Labor Day weekend, unless okay. the weather doesn't cooperate and it's still ninety eight degrees. Right, <laughs> and then we and we go very early, um, at least for the first couple of weeks. We go out six thirty seven o'clock, but sometimes it's so hot that it's just too hard on the hounds, and so we may put it off a week um, if we have a you know a terribly hot spell. So then tell us what the the camp is like for the kiddos. Well, we found, and, you know, here again, we're just, these all sprouted from just talking to people and the needs of people. And there were, we had landowners who had grandchildren and children. We had members whose children were not members of the pony club and wanted to have, uh, here again, uh, a camp opportunity and we, the first year we did it just very similar to the pony club camp is they would come with their ponies and they would ride out with the hounds and they would, we really try to focus it on them being aware of their environment, the hounds, getting to know the hounds. Each camper is assigned a hound on the first day that they get here and they learn its pedigree. They l- learn, um, you know, what are the litter mate. Um, they talk to the, uh, and they, they handle this hound every day. And so the last day of the camp and that camp is five days. Yeah. Uh, we, yes, I mean. and, and that, that camp, we have a hound show at the end of it that every camper shows their, their hounds. But what we found is that dealing because we had 
15, 20 children and dealing with all these different ponies, really, we were more worried about safety and the children on the ponies and what the ponies were up to than on the fundamentals of hunting. So we, and, and we also had, there were so many different levels. There were some children that were ready to go in our first flight and others that were at a hilltopping level. So we switched it to bicycles the next year and we've done that oh, ever fun. since. Yeah. And it's really been a huge hit because we, it's a great way to introduce children to hunting and you have, you know, maybe the the child who's been hunting and a member of a pony club and has a brother or sister that doesn't ride but kind of wants to be involved. And this way they can do that. And so they exercise the hounds on bikes and they um, do everything they would do. They work on the trails. They have a project every year that they um, build something for the kennels or they build a jump. Uh, here again, they learn the history and the etiquette of fox hunting. And we have different speakers come out and talk to them about um, the state forest and about land conservation and what they can do to help uh, with land conservation. And so we really try to introduce a lot of things other than just fox hunting 101. And I think that's, that's remarkable and so poignant to, you know, people just, you know, once they learn, you know, fox hunting exists, it's just, you know, about riding and galloping and jumping. And I think that what you're doing is just such a great way to build a foundation, especially with kids to to understand the bigger impact and that a huge part of fox hunting is land and conservation. Um, is So it sounds like your huntsman would be fairly involved with the kids camp. Oh, he is. He's very involved with the kids camp. And I will be honest, uh, we kind of cheated in that our first year when we really came up with this and ran with it, we got a member who was a school teacher (laughs) to help us come up with the curriculum. And she's kind of the Pied Piper at school. And so she really helped come up with a fun curriculum. One of the things they do is they have a contest every day of naming hounds and there's a prize of who can name the most. Oh, I think that's uh, great. And they love it. They love it. And they really get to, um, it gets very competitive. <laughs> um, so, and, and the huntsman is there really, uh, the camp starts, they have to be there early. They're there at about seven thirty or eight and they rode the hounds and then they come back and they do things at which point it gives the huntsman a time to do his kennels and feed his hounds and everything. And then they come back and they start, he teaches them and works with them on how to show hounds and the confirmation and then they have lunch and there's a pool out of the kennel. And so they all swim and then they go home. So the thing is over by about one thirty. But as I say, it's five days and most of these children live 40 minutes away. So it, it's a long day for them. So how many years have you done the kids camp and the adult camp? The, uh, we started the kids camp only a few years after the adult camp. And I think this is our 18th year for the adult camp. So do you see pretty good, um, I don't know if retention's the right word, but do you see a fair amount of folks that go through those camps that eventually join or are active with the hunt? Yes, we do. We have usually most of the, uh, I'd say probably 80% of the people come are members, and they're either ones that really kind of want to step up what they're doing with the hunting, or they. we have a lot of repeat um, people too, but they all, you know, everybody, you get by a new hunt horse, and you haven't hunted it yet, it's a great way to kind of figure the horse out a little bit because you're getting to ride in groups and um, follow over jumps and see them with hounds. And without 
the uh, I think the pressures of yeah. hunting right. I think you know, and and that's another reason that we do it over two days because the first you know half an hour when everybody gets there on their horse, they're not sure about the horse. They're not sure what they're going to do. They don't want to cause a scene. Not that we've really ever had a scene, but they they just want to do everything right. And I said, look, if you're doing everything right, there's no reason to have the camp. Um, right. <laughs> you know, we, this is to work through some of the things. And um, by the, you know, the end of the first morning session, people are, and horses are really starting to relax. And then the afternoon session, they're getting tired and they're really relaxed. And you see a huge difference on Sunday when they come back that they know who's there. They know the other horses, they know their horse. And it's just, we get a whole lot accomplished. No, I think it's in, I, you know, I work in human resources and I, I think, I think it's kind of like an orientation, so to speak, where you get to know other people who are kind of at a similar level or a similar situation as you. And then once the season starts, those are people you can go to and have camaraderie with and all that. So I, you know, and I really think this sounds like something that so many hunts across the United States could take this idea and mold it a little bit to their population or their territory. Cause I, you know, here in Texas, people don't know fox hunting exists. And I think a, an adult camp kind of like what you're describing, you know, you could do that, you know, a couple weekends during the summer, two or three weekends and, you know, get different groups to introduce them to hunting. I think it would be wonderful. Well, and you really find that, I mean, the masters at, at Deep Run, we're the ones who set the curriculum and we're the one who runs the camp, but people in each year get more and more involved. Now we do have, we ask members to be counselors of our camp and each group that goes out has, you know, the leader, the field master who is really conducting the exercises. But we have two or three people interspersed in the field that can help anybody who's having a problem, whose horse is a little hot or doesn't want to cross a trail or the, or the rider's a little worried or they're having trouble with a fence or a gate or whatever. So we have so they can break off and then they come back. They, they work and that helps a lot. And we also have people who, uh, you know, have horses, but have literally never hunted before and want to see what their horse is going to do in a group, um, in a group setting. Uh, and I think having it in the summer when it's hot probably helps a little bit too, because the horses, uh, you know, we've never had it so hot that we were worried about taking the horses out, but we are careful and in, in, in managing the heat. But I do think it takes the edge off of them a lot. Well, it's a great way to, I've introduced, I've hunted for about 11 years and I've introduced three horses to hunting. And I wholly agree that it's a little bit of an anxious atmosphere regardless. And I, I think, you know, like y'all are doing where it's kind of warm and it's, you know, you might get a little excited, but it zaps your energy pretty quickly. So I think that that makes perfect sense. So I, I honestly could talk about this all day, but we're, we're about out of time so I appreciate so much you sharing this information and I sincerely hope that if we have any listeners in the Richmond area that they, or even people from other hunts who are curious to copy you, that they would reach out and, and learn more about it. And if they wanted to do that, what would be the best way to get in touch with you or a good contact at Deep Run? The, our uh, club manager is named Hallie Shores and uh, her email is hallie at deeprunhunt.com. And she, I mean, we're happy to share. She's just the easiest to get. Um, and and she will forward anything to me. And I'm happy to answer any questions. Uh, we're happy to share our curriculum. 
help you in any way um, that we can. Awesome. And is it H-A-L-L-E or is it H-A-L-L-I-E for Hallie? H-A-L-L-E. Perfect. Well, Jenny, thank you so much. We appreciate your time and hopefully we'll see lots more fox hunt camps next summer. That sounds great. Well, fascinating topics and fascinating guests as usual this month, Tara. And uh, thanks for listening to the show. And if you want to contact Tara because you find her a fascinating gal, you got a topic you'd like to hear about on the Fox Hunting Show, you can find Tara on Instagram. Her handle there is TN Tibbets, T N T I B B E T T S. And you can find links to today's show by going to horsesinthemorning.com. You can follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Just search for Horses in the Morning. You can have all of the Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go with our free app for the iPhone and the Android. Just go to your app store and search for the Horse Radio Network. Many thanks to our sponsor, the Masters of Foxhound Association. You can find them at their brand spanking new website, mfha.com. Or you can find them on Facebook, just search for Masters of Foxhounds. Or Instagram, their handle is mfha underscore official. Good night. Good night. 